Most of the time when I preach a sermon, it's at a G or PG level. Uh, this one today, I just wanted to give you a heads up, is more like at a PG-13 level. Uh, we'll be getting into some content that may not be appropriate for little ears. And so, uh, parents, if you've got little ones with you, uh, make sure you're watching this with them. And uh, as topics come up that you think may be age inappropriate for them, uh, you may, well, may want to have them dismissed uh, for just a few moments. So I just wanted to give you that heads up. Today's message I'm calling a light in Corinth, a light in Corinth. Over the years, many people have asked the question, what kind of church is Impact Christian Church? And I'm happy to answer that question whenever someone asks it. Impact Christian Church is a non-denominational Christian church that came out of the restoration movement of the early 1800s. In the early 1800s, there uh, were... uh, Churches all over the place. In the Bible Belt, churches on every corner at the intersection in town in many cities across the Midwest. And and so there were many wonderful churches. The problem was so many of those churches were splinters and offshoots and splits from other churches. There was so much division going on among Christian churches. The Baptists were arguing with the Presbyterians and the Presbyterians were arguing with the Methodists. And so Christians were taking their eyes off the mission to reach lost and dying people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they were fighting with each other instead of fighting the devil. And that's never a good thing. Well, in Kentucky, God stirred the heart of a Presbyterian pastor by the name of Barton W. Stone. He began, uh, Barton did, urging Christians to get rid of their denominational titles and just be known as Christians. Let's just get back to being called Christians, was his plea. And in West Virginia, even though he didn't know Barton W. Stone, another Presbyterian pastor by the name of Thomas Campbell had his heart stirred as well. And he began teaching, there is only one church of Christ on earth. Not hundreds, just One church. The leaders of this movement wanted so badly to restore the New Testament church. No sects, uh, no schisms, uh, no denominations, just simple Christianity. Barton W. Stone and Thomas Campbell and others drew a line in the sand and they said, where the Bible speaks, we will speak. Where the Bible is silent, we're going to be silent. And we're not going to have any creed but Christ. And they encouraged other churches to do the same. Well, the churches across America that agreed with them did their best to model their churches after the New Testament church. I think that's an awesome thing. But it's easier said than done. If we want to model ourselves after the New Testament church, it it really begs the question, which New Testament church are we going to model ourselves after? Because there are quite a few churches described in the pages of the New Testament. Uh, Back in November and December, remember, we studied the seven churches of Revelation in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And you look at those seven churches of Revelation, five of those seven churches had major issues. We don't want to model ourselves after the church at Ephesus, do we? Remember what Jesus said to the Christians at the church in Ephesus? He said, you have forsaken your first love. We don't want to be like that church. What about what Jesus said to the church at Sardis? To the Christians in the church at Sardis, 
He says, you have a reputation for being alive, but actually you're dead. And we definitely don't want to model ourselves after the church at Laodicea, do we? Remember what Jesus said to them? He said to the Laodicean Christians, you are lukewarm. And if you don't repent, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. We don't want to be like that church. Well, if you read the book of 1 Corinthians, I think you'd agree with me that we don't want to model ourselves after the Corinthian church either. The Christians in Corinth, in that Corinth Christian church, were griping and complaining like children. There was jealousy and infighting in the church. Some of the Christians were suing each other in court. Others were perverts, and it didn't end there. Suffice it to say, the Christian church in Corinth had issues. It was pretty messed up. Last Sunday, we took a closer look at Paul's 18-month mission to Corinth, recorded for us in Acts chapter 18. And remember that Corinth was sin city. There were bars on every corner. Drunken orgies were common. There were hundreds of temple prostitutes that would come down out of Acro-Corinth down into town to ply their trade of prostitution. Sadly, much of the wickedness in Corinth had seeped into the church. The church was not only in Corinth. The Christian church was of Corinth. And this morning I feel led to to sound the alarm to make sure that our church doesn't make the same mistakes as the Corinthian church. We live in our own sin city today in 2022. We are in the world We must make sure that we aren't of the world. Amen? These days, you don't have to look very far to see that our nation is caught in this downward spiral of sin, especially in regard to violence and sexual perversion. I want to start with violence. In 1973, the Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade decision legalized abortion on demand in the United States, and it opened the floodgates for abortion in our country. Over the past 49 years, there have been more than 63 million abortions in America. Think about that. 63 million abortions. To put that into perspective, that is more than the populations of California, Arizona, Nevada, Oregon, Washington, and Alaska combined. That's crazy to think about, isn't it? And that's reprehensible. 63 million babies killed inside their mother's womb. One of the worst genocides in human history was the Holocaust, during which time 6 million Jews were killed. 6 million. The Holocaust was absolutely horrible. But consider this, our own American Holocaust inside a mother's womb has claimed 10 times more lives than the Nazi Holocaust perpetrated on the Jewish people. Of course, violence in America extends far beyond the womb. Think about gun violence. On May 24th, just a few weeks ago, 18-year-old Salvador Ramos fatally shot 19 students and two teachers at Robb Elementary School in Evaldi, Texas. I wish that mass shootings were rare in our nation, but the truth is they're not. So I did some research this last week. I discovered they're far more common than I even realized. A mass shooting is defined as a shooting where four people are shot by a gunman 
not including the gunman himself. So at least four people are shot, injured, or killed by that gunman. By that definition, according to a June 8th article in the Washington Post, there have been more than 250 mass shootings just this year in the United States. And 38 of those mass shootings happened within a, just a two-week period after Uvalde. That's crazy. Mass shootings have been on the rise in the past few years. Between 2014 and 2018, there were less than 400 mass shootings each year. In 2019, it jumped to 417. In 2020, there were 611. Last year, there were almost 700 mass shootings right here in the United States. And all indications are that in 2022, it's going to be another record-breaking year, surpassing even last year's record. This is inexcusable. And there's no doubt in my mind that it grieves the heart of God. The prevalence of human violence is one of the reasons why it's accurate to say you and I are living in Sin City. But there's also the matter of sexual perversion. It was actually seven years ago today, on June 26, 2015, that the Supreme Court of the United States made the decision to legalize gay marriage in the United States. Within a few hours of that decision being announced, the White House became the Rainbow House. The White House was lit up like a rainbow in celebration. Of course, in order to make their decision, the Supreme Court justices had to ignore the Bible's definition of marriage. The Supreme Court had to ignore thousands of years of human history and common sense. To heck with what God says about marriage. To heck with human history and common sense. Let's do what we want to do. Let's do what's right in our eyes. We know better than the hundreds of generations of human beings who've gone before us. And we certainly know better than God how to define marriage. It shouldn't surprise any of us that as our nation has openly embraced sexual perversion, it's been a very slippery slope. Across our nation, the LGBT community celebrated the Supreme Court's gay marriage decision. But, of course, they weren't satisfied. They never said, we have finally reached our goal. We're happy now. We've done all that we hope to do. We're no longer going to press for any more change. Hardly. The LGBT community isn't even satisfied with their own letters. Think about it. Over the last few years, they keep adding letters to their identity, to their subgroup. Several years ago, LGBT became LGBTQ. And then around two years ago, that wasn't enough, so it became LGBTQ+. And now it's LGBTQIA+. I didn't even know what IA stood for. I had to look it up on the Internet last week to figure out what the heck I and A stand for. And do you think it'll stop there? Don't count on it. New York City, as I've mentioned to you in the past, recognizes 31 different gender identities. And I'm sure it won't stop there. It's not going to stop unless the Holy Spirit brings revival or brings judgment. We now live in a culture where sexual perversion has been normalized. What was considered sexual deviance just a few years ago is now embraced. Quick example, seven years ago, 
a gentleman in San Francisco, California, began a little club of sorts. He called it the Drag Queen Story Hour. This gentleman in San Francisco was a drag queen, and he decided that it would be a good thing to expose children to drag queens and allow them to hear a drag queen read kids' books to them. Here's how Drag Queen Story Hour is described on their website. And these have popped up all over the nation in key cities over the past seven years. So here's how their own website describes what Drag Queen Story Hour is all about. Drag Queen Story Hour is just what it sounds like. Drag queens reading stories to children in libraries, schools, and bookstores. Drag Queen Story Hour captures the imagination and play of the gender fluidity of children and gives kids glamorous, positive, and unabashedly queer role models. In spaces like this, kids are able to see people who defy rigid gender restrictions and imagine a world where people can present as they wish where dress-up is real. Wow. If you find that disgusting, good. You should. Now, I could go on and on, but you get the idea. We are living in Sin City, aren't we? We're living in a modern-day Corinth. Our nation is steeped in violence, and it's steeped in sexual perversion, and this slippery slope keeps on getting more and more slippery. This downward spiral keeps on going and going with no end in sight. When it comes to a sermon like this one, the easy part is for me to point out to you the gross sexual sin and the gross violence that takes place outside the church. It's easy to point out 65 million abortions and say, God's word says that's wrong. It's easy to point out mass shootings and say, God's word says that is wrong. It's easy to point out gay marriage and say, God's word says that's wrong. It's easy to point at cross-dressers or drag queen story hour and say, God's word says that's wrong. It's easy for me to point out all those things and call it sin because most of you are Christians who are watching this broadcast and you agree with me, don't you? You agree that it's a sin because the Bible calls it sin, right? But there's another reason why it's easy for me to point out these things as sin. It's easy because I know most of you don't personally struggle with these sins. Just to make sure, let me ask you, is anyone here planning on having an abortion tomorrow? No? Is anyone here planning at the end of this week to go out with your guns and cause a mass shooting? Anyone? Is anyone here planning next weekend to marry your gay lover? Anyone? Anyone here planning on cross-dressing and leading a cross-dresser, drag queen or drag king story hour next weekend? Anyone? Maybe over the 4th of July weekend? No one? And obviously, these are sins that most of us watching this broadcast, most of us who are Christians, do not struggle with. 
You see, we Christians are very good at pointing out other people's sins. That's easy. It's easy to call out the gross sin in the world that makes us sick to our stomachs because none of us struggle with it. What's harder is calling out the sins that Christians in the church do struggle with. Sins that you struggle with. I want to suggest to you this morning that our nation is in this downward spiral of sin, not primarily because of Planned Parenthood, not primarily because of the NRA or the Supreme Court or Hollywood or LGBTQIA plus advocates. Sinful Corinthians are going to act like sinful Corinthians. Why does that surprise us? That's what sinful Corinthians do. The greatest blame lies on the church. It lies with you and me. Like the Corinthian Christians, we have not only been in the world more than we'd like to admit, we've also been of the world. Well, you've been very patient with your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want to read for you now our key passage today. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, and I'll go ahead and read to the end of the chapter. Once again, 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 9. Paul the Apostle writes, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach, the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. May God bless us as we read, study, and live out his word today. Now, these verses are familiar to many of you, especially verses 9 and 10. When we uh, take a look at these verses, you know, they kind of resonate in our minds and hearts because many of us have heard them shared many times over the years. We even looked at these verses last Sunday. Well, if you look at verses 9 and 10, Paul lists 10 sins, 10 lifestyle sins that will keep people out of heaven. And I'd like us to take a, a quick look at this list of 10 lifestyle sins. So Paul lists these 10 sins. You will not make it to heaven, he says, 
if you continue to live in any of these ten things without repenting and turning from them. Number one is sexual immorality. If you look at the New King James Version, it translates that term as fornicators. That's a little bit more specific. If you don't know what fornication is, simply put, it is premarital sex, usually referring to heterosexual premarital sex. Number two, idolatry. He talks about idolaters won't make it to heaven, those who put anything or anyone above God. Next up, adulterers, those that cheat on their spouse and have heterosexual sex with someone they're not married to. Fourth up, male prostitutes. Fifth is homosexuals. Those translated a little more precisely, effeminate and sodomites. Sodomite is not a word we hear too often these days. Sodomy is a word that's been kind of passed aside in the English language because it's not politically correct. But that's a very literal translation of that word. Now, why does he use two different words here for homosexuality? Male prostitutes, effeminate, literally is referring to the man who plays more of a submissive female role in homosexual relationships, in homosexual sex. That second term, homosexuals or sodomites, refers to the dominant man in homosexual sexual relations. That's why he uses two different terms. Then he goes to thieves. Next up is greedy, also translated as covetous in some translations. Finally, drunkards, slanderers, and swindlers. Swindlers means those who cheat people. So so there's that list of 10 lifestyle sins that, according to God's word, will keep people out of heaven and will send them to hell. Do we all agree with that? Those 10 send people to hell. Those aren't the only 10. You can go over to Galatians 5, right before Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. He lists 15 sins of the sexual uh, of the uh, sinful nature, I should say. And so this isn't an exhaustive list, but these are 10 sins that do lead to eternal death. So we agree on that, don't we? But I, I hope you would also agree that we as Christians have a tendency to focus on some of these sins more than others. We cherry pick certain sins and rail on those who commit them while glossing over and largely ignoring other sins on the list. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put this list of 10 sins on the screen, but this time I'm going to color code them. Okay? We're going to color code these. I'm going to have three different colors. The sins that we rail on the most, that we harp on, that we, we, we criticize those that commit them the most are going to be in red. Okay? Those that we know Christians in the church sometimes commit And we touch on them, but not quite as much as those in red. Those are going to be in yellow. And then finally, there are going to be a couple in green that we don't talk about much at all in the church. Probably because they hit a little too close to home. So let's put that on the screen here for you. Color-coded, these two sins. So let's start with the red. We traditionally, at least in recent decades... Uh, churches have focused on male prostitutes, homosexuals. We've harped on homosexuality and hit that one hard. This is a sin. Homosexuals are going to hell if they don't repent of their sin. Now, is that inaccurate? No. 
It's right there on the list. Those that continue to practice a lifestyle of homosexuality, if they do not repent from that and change, then they will spend eternity separated from God in hell. But then there's drunkards. We've focused on that one quite a bit as well. You know, if you are a drunkard, if you are an addict and you refuse to repent from your addiction, whether it's to alcohol or to drugs of any kind, then if you don't repent from that, if you don't change, you're going to hell as well. And, and so the church has typically focused on those three on this list of ten. Then we get to our yellow sins. These the church talks about some, but not as much as the red sins. Uh, sexual immorality, fornication. Once in a while, churches will talk about how we're not supposed to have premarital heterosexual sex, but we don't talk about that normally as much as we talk about the sin of homosexuality. Also, idolatry, putting things ahead of God or putting people ahead of God. We talk about that, but not as much. Adultery, cheating on your spouse. We know it goes on all the time in churches. Husbands are cheating on their wives. Christian wives are cheating on their husbands. And we talk about it a bit, but to a large extent, we turn a blind eye to it. Also, stealing. Stealing. Cheating on our income tax. We don't talk about that too much, but that's stealing. And according to Paul here in the first Corinthians six, that type of thing could send someone to hell because thieves do not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Finally, we've got swindlers down there. Those that cheat people. We might talk about it a bit, but not much. And then there's two here who are in, that are in green, greedy and slanderers. We don't talk about these very much in the church. Those that are materialistic. We don't harp on that sin very often, do we? In fact, there are many churches in America today that encourage greed. Churches that say, you know what, if you have enough faith, if you pray enough, then God is going to give you more money. God's going to bless you with more money. He's going to bless you with a bigger house. He's going to bless you with a newer car. He's going to bless you with nicer clothes. Sound familiar? You've heard sermons that say much of what I just said on TV, I'm sure. And so we not only don't point out that greed is a sin that will send you to hell, sometimes in the church we even encourage it. And then those that slander, how often do Christians slander our president? How often do Christians go around slandering slandering our governor? How often do Christians go around slandering their ex-wife or their ex-husband or their kids or their parents or their friends or their neighbors? Christians do it all the time. And to a very large extent, pastors and church leaders and all of us in the church turn a blind eye to it. And that is a crying shame. That is a shame. Well, all of these on the list, according to God's word, could send us to hell. And God doesn't care if one of these, like greed, is part of the American dream. God is not concerned with the American dream. He's concerned with holiness. And so, so often, we pass aside the sins that hit a little closer to home. We don't harp on these that are green. We rarely harp on those that are yellow. And so I want you to to hear me out on this. We may be followers of Christ, but like non-Christians, we're not very good at looking in the mirror. It's too uncomfortable. It's too convicting. It's too hard. So hear me out on this. If we don't identify and eradicate our sin inside the church, we don't have a chance of eradicating it outside the church. Judgment begins with the the house of God is 
what the word of God tells us. Judgment begins with the house of God. Judgment begins with Christians. I wish I had more time to flesh this out, because if you were to go over with me to Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, you'd see that Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit. But before that, he lists 15 acts of the sinful nature that will keep people out of heaven. So I encourage you, a little homework assignment. Later today, would you do this for me? Would you open to Galatians 5, 19 through 21? It's there on the screen if you want to jot it down. Go to those three verses and look at those 15 sins of the sinful nature that Paul lists. And I want you to highlight those just like I did with you a moment ago with that 1 Corinthians 6 passage. Highlight the ones that we harp on the most. Maybe put a red mark next to it in your Bible. And then maybe yellow next to the ones that we talk about in the church a bit. And then green, most importantly green, next to the ones that we don't talk about very much, but are on that same list with those red sins that we condemn all the time. Oh, when it comes down to it, we are so good at cherry-picking the sins that we don't personally struggle with, but others do, and ignoring the ones that hit a little too close to home. Hmm. Well, I want to suggest five important action steps that you and I need to take as Christians. Action step number one, be shocked by sin, but not surprised. Be shocked by sin, but not surprised. This past week, I listened to an interview uh, with Carl Truman. He's a church historian uh, who has done a lot of research on the sexual revolution over the past 50 years. And his insights are really important for us to hear. Here's a quick excerpt from that interview that it was so good, I wanted to read this for you word for word. Uh, See if this strikes you like it struck me when I read it a few days ago. Do not allow the normalization of pornography, the normalization of wickedness, to dull your senses to the outrageous horror of what is being perpetrated. But I'd also say this, don't be surprised. Because there is a long-standing history of what's going on today. And you can see how this has emerged over time. The speed can be breathtaking. The speed has caught us all by surprise. But when you actually go and get down into the history of the last two or three hundred years, it becomes obvious that what's happening now is the result of deep-seated and long-standing causes. So it may be slightly odd to put it this way, but be shocked, but not surprised. Human beings are capable of doing all kinds of terrible stuff. And of the elements, if the elements are in place, they have been for the sexual revelation, for the sexual revolution, I should say, to have taken place. I read that poorly. Let me say that again. Human beings are capable of doing all kinds of terrible stuff. And all of the elements are in place for the sexual revolution to have taken place and indeed to continue moving forward. What will fall next? Will it be the taboo on incest? Will it be the taboo on pedophilia? I hope the taboo on neither falls. But I think we have to accept that the, that the conceptual framework for holding those things in place has long since vanished. So be shocked, but do not be surprised. 
If you are surprised by this, then you will get overly depressed by it. Do not be surprised. Prepare for it. I think those are some wise, insightful words. Don't be surprised. Prepare for it. So we got to ask the question, how do we as Christians prepare for it? How does the church prepare for what's coming next on this slippery slope and downward spiral of sin? How do we prepare for it? Well, that leads us to our next four action steps. Action step number two. Stop fixating on others' sin while ignoring your own sin. Be intolerant of your own sin. Amen? Be intolerant of your own sin. If someone ever asked you, has your pastor ever told you to be intolerant? The answer is yes. I want you to be absolutely intolerant of your own sin. If I'm not mistaken, Jesus said something about taking the plank out of my own eye before I try to take the speck of dust out of your eye. Each of us has to look in the spiritual mirror of God's word every day and identify sin in our own lives. We're living in a moral cesspool and we're never going to change that moral cesspool that surrounds us if you and I are contributing to that moral cesspool. It's not enough to be better than most people. It's not enough to be more moral than most people. Jesus Christ calls you to be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. Completely pure as your Father in heaven is completely pure. So don't be better than, be holy. The biggest problem with our downward spiral of sin is that Christians in the church have contributed to the moral cesspool. How are we going to change our culture if we're going down the slippery slope ourselves? Action step number three, mourn over all sin, both inside and outside the church, both in yourself and in others. When we identify sin in ourselves and in others, I believe we jump too quickly to our thoughts of God's mercy and and God's grace. We don't like to mourn over sin. We like to very quickly uh, uh, pacify ourselves and say, well, well, God will forgive you. Uh, God will give you grace. God will give you mercy. When someone's confessing their sin to us and they're grieving over their sin, we try to cheer them up right away. I don't think that's good. I don't think that's biblical. We need to take the time to grieve over our sin and mourn over our sin appropriately. Uh, We don't like to confess our sin to other Christians, but we need to confess our sin to at least one other Christian. We don't like to mourn over our sin, but God tells us to mourn over our sin. We don't like to get down on our knees and humble ourselves before God and tell him how sorry we are, but we need to get down on our knees. It amazes me how few Christians get down on their knees literally. Now, if you are a senior and you've got bad knees, then if you got down on them, you probably wouldn't get back up. That's another story. But most of us are perfectly capable of standing back up once we get down on our knees. Oh, like David, we need to grieve over our own sin. Like Job, we need to grieve over the sins of our kids and our family members. And like Jesus, we need to grieve over the sins of our city and our nation. If our prayer times aren't filled with grieving and mourning, there will be no hope for our nation. America will continue down the slippery slope of sin and depravity unless you and I grieve, really grieve for America. Action step number four. 
Be part of the solution. Encourage and, when called to do so, participate in church discipline. This one's really important. This is something that is definitely missing in most American churches today. And the fault lies with both church leaders and church members. I know that I'm guilty. Even though I I probably strike you as a a pretty self-confident guy that tells it like it is, the truth is, I don't like confrontation. The truth is, I hate having to be the one to carry out church discipline. I don't like it at all. And so over the years that I've been a pastor, there have been so many times where I just kept my mouth shut and I didn't carry out church discipline because it was uncomfortable. I didn't want to do it. But you also are to blame. Most of you hate church discipline also. You hate it as much as I do. Uh, when you're, you've caught a, a Christian brother or sister in sin, you've kept your mouth shut, just like I've done at times. Or if you had a hunch that you were going to be called out for your sin at church by your pastor or church leader, you just kind of did an abracadabra and disappeared, didn't you? Well, so many of us handle church like we handle getting mad at Walmart. You know, if you get mad at Walmart, you just stomp out of the store and you go over to Target. If you get mad at Stater Brothers, you just leave and go over to Winco. If you get mad at Home Depot, you just storm off and go over to Lowe's. And we handle church the same way. If it gets a little too hot in the Christian church kitchen, then we just go to another church where we can be a fly on the wall and no one knows the sin in our lives and no one can hold us accountable for it. That's tragic. For your spiritual growth, it's tragic. For your home church's spiritual growth, it's tragic. And for our depraved culture we live in that desperately needs holy Christians to show the light of Christ in the midst of the darkness, it's so tragic. Oh, we are called to reach our community and hopping from church to church and refusing to submit to church discipline when we need it is detrimental to ourselves and our families and ultimately to our culture around us. Who cares if it's uncomfortable? Be a part of the solution. Encourage, and when called to do so, participate in church discipline. Finally, action step number five. Shine your light in the darkness. Keep sharing the gospel, leading people to the only one who can transform both them and our culture, Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Jesus Christ was Corinth's only hope. And the same holds true for America. Jesus Christ is America's only hope. Not the next piece of legislation. Not the next president. Not the next governor. Not the next Supreme Court decision. You and I have to lead people to Jesus Christ because when it comes down to it, Jesus Christ truly is America's only hope. Oh, we are in Corinth. But let's not make the same mistake that the Corinthian Christians made. They were in Corinth. And they were also of Corinth. May God find us faithful to rise out of the moral cesspool that we are in and shine the light of Christ and show our culture what righteousness and holiness looks like and how much better that is than their alternative. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we just want to say, Lord, we are sorry. We've been so busy pointing out others' sin that we've neglected our own sin. 
We haven't looked in the mirror because it's too uncomfortable. And Lord, we've gone with the easy sermons. And at times, Lord, we've gravitated to the the easy teachings. It's easy for us to stand back and, and point at the transgenders and say that's reprehensible. Sure, it's reprehensible, but so is our stealing and so is our lying and so is our lust. Lord, it's easy to to point at those going off and having multiple abortions and saying that's evil, that's sinful. But we don't look in the mirror and realize, Lord, that we have sinned sexually as well. Lord, we point at those that are perpetrators of mass violence, not realizing, Lord, that we have at times done violence to your word. And Lord, we have lifted our hand at times to members of our own family. Lord, forgive us for our hypocrisy. Forgive us, Lord, for focusing on the sins that others have and not on our own. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would draw us toward righteousness and holiness. I pray that we would spend the time we need to on our knees, repenting of our own sin, repenting of our church's sin, repenting of our kids and our parents and our siblings' sin. Lord, repenting of our neighbor's sin, repenting of our government's sin, repenting of our nation's sin. Lord, I pray that we would mourn as you've called us to mourn. And Lord, help us to shine the light of Christ. Jesus Christ is our nation's only hope. Help us to boldly share the gospel because, Lord, we truly believe that getting a better president or a better governor or better legislation ultimately will not change the hard, sinful hearts of people in our culture. The only hope they have is Jesus Christ. And we have you, Jesus. Help us not to keep you to ourselves, but to freely and boldly share you with our culture and shine that light for your glory and the advancement of your kingdom on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and you've never put Jesus in charge of your life, I just want to say to you directly what I've said in general for America over the last few minutes. Jesus Christ is your only hope. If you need true peace, if you need true forgiveness, if you need true comfort and joy and purpose in your life, Jesus is your only hope. If you want to go to heaven someday, he's your only hope. If you want a relationship with your creator God, he's your only hope. The Bible makes it clear there is only one way to a relationship with God. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one path to forgiveness, and his name is Jesus. And so if you are at a point where you realize you need to put him in the driver's seat of your life, I just want to lead you in a prayer. Would you pray this with me? Just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I confess, I admit that I am a sinner. I have broken your loss. And I have turned my back on you. Please forgive me. Please have mercy on me. Lord Jesus, I invite you to come into my life right now to take the driver's seat and to take the wheel of my life and I will let you lead my life from this point forward. Please be my Savior and please be my Lord until you call me home to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you made that decision today, we read in the New Testament that When someone decides to accept Christ, they were immediately baptized. 
Being in the water pictures Jesus' death, and it also pictures that your old life is buried. As you come up out of the water, it pictures that resurrection of Jesus. It also pictures that you have been given a brand new life because of Christ. I encourage you to reach out to us and let us know if you want to be baptized. And we'll set up a time to get that done as soon as possible. We'll even come to you if we need to. Just let us know. You can reach us at 760-246-4100. Or once again, you can email us at info at greaterimpact.cc. Or you can just shoot us a message here on Facebook. If we can help with your decision for Christ, just let us know. And to all of you, as you walk in obedience to Jesus Christ, as you love him with all your heart and you trust him, walk in grace this week. Yes, you are a sinner, but grace has been made available to you as you confess your sins, turn from your sins, and walk in that grace with God's help. God bless you as you serve him this week.